0: Welcome to Out of the Comfort
1: Zone. So when you think of selling, whether that's a product or a service or yourself for that matter, you probably conjure up a bunch of unflattering images, things that sound more like your image of what a used car salesman might be doing. No discredit to used car salesmen of the world, please. We have images of those. And you probably conclude, as many people have said to me, that's just not who I am. Well, I want to make the argument today that in this day and age, sales is really nothing like that image that you have in your mind. What we want to talk about is what does sales actually look like today, and better yet, how can you be more effective at selling your ideas and yourself? So we're not talking about selling your product or services from your company. We're talking about selling yourself and your ideas. So my guest today is Stacy Sherman. And Stacy is a customer experience leader, CX for short. She's a strategist and practitioner and dedicated to humanizing business and differentiating brands beyond price. And now you see why I think her message is going to be really important for us. And she does this, customer experience experience every day by challenging the status quo, building a customer-centric culture, maximizing employee engagement and delivering customer satisfaction. She's currently the CX Director at Schindler Elevator Corporation. Before that, she was CX and Digital Marketing at Verizon. So when Stacy's not doing her day job, she's blogging and writing for Forbes and a variety of other places, speaking, podcasting and coaching people about doing CX right. You can follow her on email at Stacey, Stacy, S T A C Y, at doingcxright.com, or on LinkedIn, or on Twitter at Stacy Sherman, or Instagram at Doing or you can read her blog at doingcxright.com. Stacy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled, and I realize we're. T- I'm sort of forcing you a tiny bit off track, but not really, I think, as people will see as we go on, talking about sales when you really started as customer experience, CX. So let's start at the top. Mm-hmm. Why are you so passionate about CX, customer experience?
2: Because for two reasons. One, as a, cons- a customer, as a consumer, we all are consumers, there's so many times throughout the years that you want to buy something or, or get service done. And it just got off. And and it doesn't have to be. And when I fell into the field, literally, as a digital market, I fell into the CX world on the corporate side. I started to learn that there is really a way to serve customers better, and drive more satisfaction, which also comes from employee satisfaction. we we'll, can get into that. But I, I had a passion for it because I saw that it is a way to differentiate brands and make people feel feel good, and it has nothing to do with price. And so it kind of ignited this journey
1: that I've gone on. Yeah. Yes, um, I believe if I go back in my old, 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 old days when I used to be teaching marketing in the business school, um, I believe from watching hundreds of brands at that particular moment in time, that the moment you let price be the driver, that's because you have nothing else to differentiate your brand. So price mm-hmm. is not the answer. That just means you haven't done a good job. And I completely agree with you. This notion that if employees are satisfied then they're going to deliver better services and products to customers and customers will be more satisfied. So there's a direct link between how you can com- treat your employees and how they thus treat your um, customers or consumers Okay, so CEX, so passionate, partly because you've had the experience of such an awful experience on the consumer side, and you found that there Mm -hmm. was another way to to make it better. So now, why do you think, in your words, not mine, though, that CEX is the heart and soul of marketing, of business, for that matter, and of selling? Because it gets to the realness,
2: authenticity, and human connection. And people buy from people. I mean, brands, companies are made up of people. So I've learned from from working in different companies that do it really well that that is that is that drives the competitive edge. And so, hard selling is, is doesn't work. It's about building trust. It's about, sometimes it's about doing the basics, even though CX has very sophisticated methodologies to doing it. But at the end of the day, it, it's about human connections and, and trust and empathy and value of, of humans. And the rest
1: works itself out. Um, we could have taken that statement. It's about authenticity, human connection, empathy, and human-to-human value, building mm-hmm. trust. I could take taken all of that and said that that's exactly what I talk with my clients every day about how to operate within their organizations, how to lead people, how to lead teams, how to influence peers, how to raise visibility. I mean, that's the heart and soul of my coaching practice. So it's interesting mm-hmm. that you also say that's the heart and soul of marketing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. In fact, some might debate this, but I feel confident because I come from marketing and digital marketing and sales and now CX, I feel confident to say that CX is the new marketing. It, it, it is.
1: It, it's, it's the new approach. And there's so much research behind that. Okay, so give me a, you know, we're talking about CX like everybody understands it. Can you kind of give me a sort of general statement about what CX is, and then I'm going to come back to why is this the new marketing? But let's make sure we all know what we're talking about.
2: Yeah, so I'm glad you said that because CX, yes, is a very common term, but not everybody knows it. They certainly will (laughs) because every company is really hiring and creating uh, departments around this, which is good. Uh, but at a high level, CX, Standing for Customer Experience, is about the interactions that people have with companies, and it's a journey. So, for example, I love to use Starbucks, for example, because that's a place that I pay triple the cost of coffee when I can get it really cheap around the corner. So, the experience is that whole component from the moment I walk into the store, maybe even before then, because I can use an app, to arriving, to being welcomed, the onboarding there, to ordering and getting a product, to how they deal with a mistake, no excuses, no questions, they just make it right immediately, to giving you your product and then you're walking out the door and you're there beating with a smile and it's the whole experience it's customer journey and so cx practice is around designing and measuring customer satisfaction at every single interaction
1: that's a very high level but that's that's the framework okay so i would break down every interaction a customer has with my business and map it yes. out from the First initial contact all the way to the final conclusion, and I would say every step along the way, how do I make sure that the customer is enjoying the experience? Is that the hallmark, or is it just satisfaction?
2: Oh, no, it's definitely delighted, enjoying, satisfaction, sentiments. That's something that CX pract- practitioners will measure, like the sentiments, the feeling. As they interact with the brand, not just satisfaction or something known as NPS, net promoter score, which is about how likely are you to recommend a brand. It's so many different components, but at the end of the day, if one point in that customer journey, let's say if, if you're coaching and and working with you, signing up and paying and having a first session, all great. But then I got a problem. And it takes me so much so much effort to get help from you, then good chances people will leave, even though the rest of the journey was good they'll leave, and worse
1: they'll tell others
2: yeah, so that's yeah. why it's so important the whole journey right,
1: and especially um the um th- When I'm talking about interfacing with a company, for example, where I'm selling services into a company, something so many of my clients do, it's not just interacting with one person who's the consumer. There are many people who have a voice in what ultimately happens and how it happens and so on. So the the level of context is just, it starts to explode really quickly and gets quite difficult to map. Okay, so now okay. I want to come back. So that's what it is. It's I map the journey, and I look at every point of interaction, and I say how delighted, how are people feeling, um, and what are they satisfied with that interaction, including fixing any mistakes that happen along the way. All right, now let's come back to your statement, which you said CX is the new marketing. Why do you say that? So how
2: people want to be it's not sold to it's 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 identifying what's important to someone and matching those needs from the company standpoint now that's nothing new that is traditional marketing but what is new is that we're bringing customers to the table early on as we develop new products as we develop value proposition statements we no longer throw it out there and hope it sticks so it it's, it's marketing but then more and and then re- it it's based on outside in feedback not just
1: create something internally and push it out does that make okay. sense that makes a ton of sense. In fact, some of us would say that's how it should have been done from the beginning anyway, that customers having <laughs> yeah. a voice. In it. Well, it's true internal in the organization. If people feel they have a voice in it, they're much more likely to be bought into the idea. And that's what you're that's describing. Right. Let's bring our customers in and help them co-create, co-develop, co-execute, whatever is appropriate um, in the process.
2: Yes, and I want to elaborate on one thing there. Yeah. So best practice, definitely, the voice of the customer is so important, and voice of the employee is so important. And the caveat here is, though, a lot of times companies' leaders take shortcuts, and they'll get the voice of the employee to replace the voice of customer because they, they want to get something out the door, speed, but mm-hmm. it's got to be quality over speed. The voice of employee can never replace the customer's
1: voice. You marry them both. All right. And presumably, I don't want to listen to the customers at the expense of the employees either. Yes. Correct. Okay. All right. So, what about people who are a little bit cynical on this thing? And they say, in effect... I don't have time, and my customers aren't interested in spending time in helping me un, um, develop the value proposition. They have a thing. They're going to buy it or not buy it. If we don't have it, somebody else will do it. What's your response back to them?
2: Well, I have found
1: the opposite,
2: that when I go to our customers and I ask them for feedback, I explain that we're making it better based on your views and making the experience better for you and others like you, they actually say thank you probably three times in that conversation to to feel that they can, especially when they love a brand, to be able to be part of that creation and co-creation and, and improvements. They love that. So you may not get it from a brand-new customer because they haven't interacted long enough, but you go to your, your happy customers, your loyal customers, it is, they really appreciate it. And, and it's not even a matter of giving them an incentive. They, they're doing it. I, I mean, firsthand, I know they're, they're happy to provide feedback. People love giving opinions,
1: but you have to do it at the right time. Okay. All right, and I would wager that it matters the questions that you ask because yeah. I find as a consumer of various products that especially when I've been dissatisfied with service that has traditionally been really good and I get a survey, I am far more likely to fill out that survey and tell them and because I think they need to know. If they don't know, then they're going to lose me as a customer. All right, fine. But often the questions they ask me are irrelevant to the issue that I had. So presumably the quality yes.
2: of questions matters. Absolutely. I mean, first of all, for people who are who are creating the questions, I mean, it's it is a science and an art, really. And you have to get to the right questions in order to get the answers you really want. And you're right. If there's this perception for the customer that you're asking something that's not relevant, You can actually turn that into a, you know, a negative experience, which has ramifications. The the other comment I have to say is never ask customers questions if you're not going to do anything with it. Close the loop
1: is, is a huge topic. Yeah, yeah. Right. And again, CZ, what strikes me about all of this is I can take absolutely every word you've said here and turn it inside. And then I'm going to turn this to you in just a minute, particularly in terms of selling an idea. But for me, suppose I am trying to raise my profile in the organization And I go out to say, I need to develop the value proposition with people who are going to be buying that proposition. Well, yeah, like your managers or your stakeholders or mentors or your advocates. I mean, yes, they need to be help you. Bet that value proposition, and then you ask, you said you asked for feedback so that you can do a better service, and that works as well. So all of those principles work internally to you as well as they do externally to the customer. So now let me Mm -hmm. formally turn this and to you now as the customer experience person. And suppose I want to try to sell an idea I have. So let's say it's a new product or it's a new service or it's a new way of working. Let's say with a new process, for example, that I want to sell inside to my company to get people in my company to buy in and to implement because I believe it will take us better, make us better. So walk me through from the customer experience perspective what I should be doing to develop that proposition and make it work.
2: Yeah, so... Um, and I'll give you an example of what I've done. So there's been an organization where I was convincing them to start with the customer. Let's take the time to get feedback and employee feedback. And it was a new way of operating for them. And it would stall the process. So, and I needed a tool I have for doing the um, customer interviews. And there was some investment. So what I was able to do is to start off and say to this group, okay, let me start with the why. Why is this important? Gather my facts. Show them the value of, of the why behind this. Then convince the teams, the stakeholders, let me do a pilot. Let me show you in a small way the value of what I'm talking about. And so they said, okay, let's co-create a small test. So before they're rolling out a particular service, we came up with some market messaging. And I said, okay, let me take this messaging and let me go validate it with some customers. I'll work with you on the messaging. I want, I'm going to help you be able to know what resonates most. I'm going to ask customers a what-if scenario And then rank and order, which of these statements are most meaningful, which resonate, and why. So I did that, bring it back. My team and I did that, brought it back, and they're like, wow, that's actually not what I thought it was going to be. I said, well, that's why you have to ask the customer, because now you're going to the marketplace with what's going to resonate for them, not us. Hmm. So the answer is pilots you know, pilot testing, small testing that really works with teams to convince them, show them, and then you scale. Mm -hmm.
1: Right, right. I know that there are a lot of people talking about, particularly in the technology space at the moment that the ideal is to give consumers a way to sample your product so you find a lots mm-hmm. of apps or tech pieces where you get a service for free a limited service mind you but it's for free and mm-hmm. um then, you know, if you like that and you want to either get rid of the ads or add more services or do more volume or something, then you start to pay. But it's that ability to sample that a lot of people are now saying is really true. And that's what you're saying there. So let's say that I am trying to convince some internal colleagues to try a new process of reporting, I'll make up something expenses, for example. So I would need to tell them why and have them do a small test on it. Is that right? Yes, because ultimately you want to gain the trust.
2: Mm -hmm. You want them to, to, they may not know what you know. So Mm -hmm. everything's about trust. And it's not that it's personal, right? It's not that they don't trust you or me. as a person, but a lot of times you have to gain trust for someone to buy into something. And so, a pilot or a test case helps you show, not just tell. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. All right. Now, one of my challenges for people always is if we're working together and I'm trying to sell you on an idea, a new process, for example, and we have a very strong relationship, meaning we've done lots of things together in the past and it's worked really pretty well, then you're probably much more likely to be predisposed to say yes to me or at least we'll have a longer conversation accordingly. So how do I think about it when you already know me and there's a good level of trust, but what I'm trying to get you to do is to do something new? Is a pilot still the right answer? I think that, it depends on the
2: situation. So now you've gained the trust and you have a relationship. Well, mm-hmm. the effort is less, right, than when that relationship and trust hasn't been established. So it depends. And the, the depends factor probably relates, well, there's a couple factors, but the one that stands out is the cost. If there's mm-hmm. a high cost, people may still need to test the waters. If it's not a high cost, but they have a lot of trust and faith in you and proven success with you, then it's less of a, uh, of a push to, to move somebody. So, cost, relationship, value of the past, those are some of the factors that would make someone, um, you know, buy in. And the service is so important because, You know, I just bought something to try, and like you just described, I upgraded to get rid of ads and get rid of some other nuances, and here I am, I need help. I can't figure some things out, and I have to wait 48 hours to get a response, but meanwhile, I I need the technology right now, and so I'm thinking of actually disconnecting and going somewhere else because I can't stand not getting help when I need it. So I relate it back to what you're saying. If in the past, you were there for that customer and they didn't have to get frustrated or lose patience, they're probably going to work with you again without much effort.
1: Right. All right. But that comes back to our belief and how easy it will be. Easy, easy meaning ease, expense and time it will be for me selling the idea to fix it if something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. So, a belief of mm-hmm. do I have the bandwidth to actually get it fixed? Do I have enough people on board with me to actually get it fixed? How large are the problems that are coming through? So, do that because you can have a really great trial, but the scale then goes awry because you can't fix things fast enough. So, a problem people see regularly. Yeah. And in fact, I had worked at an ad agency,
2: and and here's a real problem: the account team, the the salespeople were amazing. They brought in so much new business development, so much work, but the relationship managers and account managers, there weren't enough people. So now the service went down. That's why it, it takes you know there really has to be that coordinated, coordinated effort so that you can service, you know, the customers in the right way. More is not always more. It could hurt you.
1: Yeah, and uh, that doesn't work very well if I'm paid for my sales revenues and I'm not paid for the service delivery. I I understand how we get on that problem. I also understand what problem that creates. All right, so Stacey, let me see if I get this straight and I'm going to kind of put it in my language rather than yours. So let me see if I've kind of understood this, that what we're trying to do when we're really genuinely marketing, whether it's myself or an idea, is I'm trying to take a look at every point of interaction, people who would buy me, my service, my idea, my process, every point of Mm -hmm. interaction, map that out and make sure I understand what the experience is at that point. So I'm looking at how people would feel about doing it at that point, and I'm looking at how comfortable they are, and I'm looking at, you know, what might go wrong, and so on. And then in getting people to buy in, I'm looking at, um, I've got options of doing a pilot in some way, a small test in some way, and a lot is going to depend on their willingness to buy in on the cost, On my past Mm -hmm. value delivery equations, the relationship itself, and a whole bunch of other things that we could talk about in terms of influence, plus my ability to fix it when it doesn't Mm -hmm. go to plan. Yes. And let the customer
2: know what you did. Right. Because of the feedback.
1: I'm going, to let, I'm going to gather feedback from them. I'm going to have a test. I'm going to gather feedback from them. I'm going to show them what I'm doing and what's working and what we're going to continue to do. And if I want to make a change, I come back to vet that change and then show them what we've done and communicate and so on. All right? Sounds to me like an absolute brilliant map for creating buy-in.
2: Yes. And if you think about it, that is not the traditional that's not the traditional role of, of sales and marketing mm-hmm. in, 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 you know, pre, pre-times. I don't know exactly the date, but this is the new way of gaining a competitive edge and differentiating a company.
1: Right. Or differentiating myself, as the case may be. Um, I also think if you think about this, you drop the language of sales and you think about it this way, then what you start to realize is I can do this in an authentic way. Because it's about delivering value, really. It's not about just a twist. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's not authentic, people know it. Yeah. And then they lose trust. Okay. Okay. All right, Stacy, perfect place to take a break. So, my guest today is Stacy Sherman. Stacy's a customer experience expert working currently at Schindler Elevator and formerly at Verizon. You can follow her probably easiest on Twitter at Stacy Sherman or Instagram at doing CX right. And if you want to follow her blogs, it's DoingCXRight.com. So when we come back, I want to shift the focus of this to talk about sort of personal branding, um, selling yourself on LinkedIn, for example, as well as how you do begin to think about your personal brand in this context. We'll be right back.
0: comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network if you want more information on the articles books coaching and seminars we offer go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com you're sure to find some helpful links videos and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization leadership forum inc helping organizations get it and keep it it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leading outside of your comfort zone is a delicate balance. You need new skills and new ways of working. To reach the program today, send an email to Wanda.Wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. That's wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm with Stacey Sherman.
1: Stacy is a customer experience leader, strategist, and practitioner, a CX person for short. If you're interested in knowing more about Tracy, probably the best way to find her is at her blog at www.doingcxright.com. All right, Stacy, we've been talking about what customer experience is, CX, and the notion that you find ways to do small tests. It's about understanding the journey of every single touch point a customer has with you or an internal customer has with you and making sure that that's working smoothly. We've also touched on the idea that it's employee satisfaction as well. I'll come back to that one in a moment. But I want to dig into this notion about personal branding and how this same model works to personal branding. And let's start with LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Because there's a general belief at the moment that LinkedIn is the way you brand yourself and the way you sell yourself, particularly if you're looking for another job. Now, what's your view on that one? LinkedIn
2: definitely is a powerful tool. It's probably my favorite of the social media channels. And that's because there is a lot of real good information and real conversations. And the way you brand yourself is diving into those conversations, giving your voice and sharing your views in the right places at the right, with the right tone and right verbiage. Um, So yes, what I caution people is to not use it as a hard selling tool. For example, I'll get tons of invites and people will use it right and wrong. The wrong is sending me a message and just speaking about themselves and asking me to connect. And, and, and I'm thinking, what? Well, some people don't even say anything that has anything to do with what I do for a living. So those are not the right ways to use LinkedIn. It's, it's about connection and relationship. It is not a hard-selling
1: tool. All right. Well, I I assume you're the same experience I have. I welcome people to join me on LinkedIn, but please write me a note about why. And um, at the same time, if it looks like all you're trying to do is to turn around and give me your sales pitch, then that's a fast way to get an absolute no or a delete or uh, something else. But I'm seeing a lot of that at the moment. So, connection. So, we're right back to the same principles of the customer experience um, work in that it's the relationship. It's the trust. It's the authenticity. It's the co-development over time, and that's why I use the word conversation. Yes.
2: Yeah, and and building trust is harder online because... You know, when people talk to people directly, even if it's through a a computer, through like a a Zoom meeting, right, a a video, people talking to each other and body language, like that helps facilitate trust. When that's not happening and it's online, it's going to take even longer to make somebody have faith that they want to even engage with you.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure it's possible to build much trust without some... Uh, at least video, face to face, but I just don't know. So, Stacey, if you're giving somebody advice on LinkedIn um, and how to, especially somebody who's sort of launching themselves in a different direction, or just getting a new job, or trying to maintain their their presence in a marketplace, you know, what are the what's the your top hit advice on how to use this tool? So, I would do two things. One, I would follow thought leaders,
2: and I would see what they're writing about, and then when they write, comment on what they wrote and your views or your what can you contribute that's valuable to what they wrote, because other people will see it, and then they get to know you, and if you do that well enough, you become viewed as a thought leader over time, so that's one thing. Join the conversations, but ha- but don't just write to write. Really add value to
1: the conversation.
2: And then two, did you want to say something to that comment?
1: Uh, yeah, go ahead. I'll come back to it.
2: Okay. Okay. Um, and then number two, this may sound really difficult for some people, but I encourage you, to anybody, to... Uh, move out of their own way, get over the fear of writing. LinkedIn has its own uh, kind of blogging feature. And it's a great platform for people to share what they know, what they're passionate about. And so you can use it as a blog if you don't have your own blog. Use it. And that builds you up as well of, of of a subject matter expert, which is probably what you're looking to do for a job anyway. I mean, everybody I, you know, would think you want to spend your time so many hours in a week doing what you love. And so write about that. And that's how you build the trust in people believing in you and why to go to you or why to hire you. Great.
1: Great. Okay. Now, I think there's one thing in that that you said that's really, really interesting because I noticed that people routinely comment On things that get posted. I see that people comment on the things that I post and vice versa. But what I'm not, what I am seeing in many of those, not all of them, I wanted to paint everybody the same way, is um, sort of a more, that was a great conversation, good insight, but no substance to it. It's a flattery. Which I'm grateful Mm -hmm. to hear, mind you, by the way, and I do it to other people as well. That's lovely, but it's not adding the conversation. So you find regularly the conversation isn't very long. It's one or two comments, and then you kind of it stops. So your notion is to add value to the conversation. Yes. Otherwise, don't
2: don't speak. (laughs) Just to speak, just to speak isn't really. There's a. That's, that's offline. Online, you have so little time to get attention and people form judgments. So, but everybody has something of value to share. Just hang out with the, you know, follow the people that are talking about what you love, and you'll have something to say that other people can benefit. Right. Okay. So I'm not hanging out. I'm not following people that talk about... Um, I don't know, architecture. I mean, I have appreciation for it, but that's not what I do, and that's not what I read about in my spare time. So for me to follow the architects online, I'm not going to have much to say or add value to. So hang out with the people that you aspire and are thought leaders that you want to be like.
1: Okay. All right. That is, I love that advice. Excellent. I'm going to take heart and follow it myself. That's important. All right, let's shift this conversation then to personal branding. And so I'm taking it out of the space of digital um, social media and just mm-hmm. talking about personal branding and, um, in and of itself. And the reason I say this is because it's a routine comment among my clients that I need to raise my visibility, I need to increase my profile, I need to reposition myself from a more junior person to a more senior person, Um I need to position myself Mm -hmm. as a leader in this kind of thing. So in all of those contexts, being very thoughtful about your personal brand matters. Now, I know you believe there's a right way and a wrong way to think about personal branding. So tell us what you think works. Well, I'm living proof.
2: Um, So I started with a blog. I had no idea if anyone would ever read it or if I'd. If I just had so many thoughts of why not to do it, and then I thought about it for five years until I actually literally created a blog, uh, which is simply just a, a kind of a mini website where you can just share your thoughts and views and images with people, and so I did it, and for about a year, I just kept posting articles, my experiences and things, and I did a lot wrong quickly. And then I learned and figured it out. And then year two, built a real big following. And then people started to share my work. I didn't even have to share it. They shared it, and it started to go viral. And then I got invited to to other things. So it's important to get your voice out there. That's how the branding evolves. Um, It doesn't work by just showing up to the world and saying, here I am. Hire me talk to me, it just doesn't work that way. It works by an evolution and doing what you love. And then people, when they love it, they share you. And that's the magic happens. There are people who don't write. I can, I can understand that, but you know what? Video is really popular. Maybe start to share your voice through video. If you're not a writer the point is that get out there and share your voice on the topics you love. What do people come to you for? That's probably going to match what you could be doing, what you could be branding yourself for. So it, it's the answer is just start getting your voice out there. There's so many channels. There's so many ways. Um, and that's where... It
1: evolves. All right, Stacey, you did that beautifully in terms of getting your voice out uh, like on LinkedIn or on social media or out in the world through a blog. But when I talk to people internally about how to raise their profile, a more common vernacular than this thing of personal branding, it's the same Mm -hmm. thing. Because I say to them, what you need is for people to buy you and your views and your experiences, that they want to come Mm -hmm. to you because you have something they want to hear about. So a tidbit, a piece of information, a perspective, a trend, a competitive insight, uh, something, Mm -hmm. you know, a technological change you're seeing in your world, something you're hearing from your clients, a piece of information that others in your company would appreciate knowing about and then talk about it get your voice out and it's easy if you think about well let me write a blog about that one it's harder if you say let me find opportunities to just say that message inside the company and hope that that sort of creates enough momentum but it's the same process at the end of the day or do you disagree with me? Mm -hmm. No it's the same thing It's, it's but it has
2: to be about what your, your why, your passion. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I read a book about, um, figuring out your why, what is your why, why are you here and what do you want to achieve by, um, Simon Sinek. And when you figure out your why, then it transfers to how you spend your day and how you experience your day every day. And with that very intention and purpose. Like I said, I've met so many people who say, I- I'm not good at anything. I don't, know what- I don't know what to talk about. And I'm like, well, what do people come to you for? And then they'll be like, oh, um, you know, they come up with these answers. I'm like, well, then look at that, right? And
1: surround yourself around people that are doing that. And that's, that's how you start. Right, and if you're talking about stuff you're passionate about, the authenticity comes through along the way. So, Stacey, I can't resist asking this question because you said it. (laughs) You have to figure out your why. And you read Simon Sinek's book, Your Why. So, what's your why? Yeah, so I'm still tweaking it. It's still not polished
2: completely, but the concept is the concept is that I am humanizing Mm -hmm. business. To drive more connections and happier people, and it happens that I spend so much time in companies, so I'm I'm really focused on the business aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really about humanizing business, and it's that experience that, that business to deliver, because we're all consumers, and we're all a lot of us are working, mm-hmm. so it blends. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm tired of I'm tired of bad experiences. I'm tired of uh, being frustrated. Things that don't need to be frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm tired of of exclusion. I'm tired of not feeling valued, not being heard. And so, there's a real opportunity to change that so that there's a better experience and satisfaction
1: overall. And that's, that's what I do. Okay. I love that one. That's great. Well, it may take you a while to give the words, and I think it doesn't matter because I don't think we're looking for a marketing slogan in this stuff. I think we're looking for mm-hmm. a way for you to talk about what it is that really gets you going. And when I hear you say what you're tired of. You're tired of the bad experiences when it doesn't need to be that frustrating or tired of the exclusion or tired of not being heard or tired of not feeling valued that I get the Mm -hmm. sense of passion that comes through that and that that's what informs your work along the way. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Um, I think people get hung up on this what's your why and that they try to make it more complex than it actually needs to be. And I'm not sure that there's only one why, that, you know, like there's only one purpose that I was put on the earth to do. There might have been Mm -hmm. 10 or 15, I happen to have landed on one, I'm particularly happy with and feel like I do and do well, and maybe that's good or good enough.
2: Yeah, I mean, it is, it definitely doesn't happen overnight that you figure out your why. That is why Simon Sinek has... Tons of books on the topic and courses. I mean, it is, sometimes it might take a lifetime, but the sooner you figure it out, I wish that I figured it out more in my teenage years, because I would have lived more purposely. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do believe that we all live to some degree through our gut and our instincts Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, hopefully listen to that. So it is our guide the way we live life, but now that I actually put pen to paper and are, and am better articulating it, it's making me pick the jobs that fulfill that. It makes me write about what, what that is, and so my whole
1: life gets to be really uh, in sync because I know right. it better. Right. Okay, I'm going to shift gears on you. I like this, and I don't want to undercut the importance of this, um, though I do think you can begin thinking about your personal brand in terms of not if you don't have your why yet, but at least talking about what you're passionate about, what people come to you for, what you want to communicate and put your voice out exactly as you said. I want to shift because mm-hmm. I want to go backwards to something that you said earlier that is particularly timely at this moment in time, and that's this notion about inclusion. So you talked mm-hmm. early on about it's looking at the customer or consumer experience their satisfaction, but the precursor and the parallel for that is the employee satisfaction because without satisfied employees, I'm not going to have satisfied consumers or customers. And you tie that to this whole issue of inclusion. Tell me what this story is about for you and why does this matter? Yeah, this is a big topic and it is very topical.
2: Um, I Yes, yeah, so employee satisfaction, employee experience, has so much to do with feeling valued and feeling like you have a seat at the table where decisions are made. It's about being empowered and trusted. And so being female and living in corporate world for my entire career, a couple small businesses in between, but um, it's not always been easy to be included in the room and many times deserve to be. And so I had to learn how to advocate, how to explain the why I, I deserve to be in that room and then and then be heard and be invited, um, and so I'm passionate about driving more empathy in the workplace inclusion because then it, I believe it takes a village, literally, to do great work. Everything I do at work, I can never do alone, and so. The more we break silos, the more we break who's in the room, and we have that thought diversity, then everybody wins. And, and I see that we're starting to slowly get there. But it has to happen uh, more intentionally. Otherwise, my daughter and, and others of that generation will have it no different. So, it, it, yeah, it has absolutely everything to do with... Um, the employee experience, and if they feel included, they're going to be better performers and deliver excellence.
1: Okay, um, <clears throat> I certainly totally agree with you that leaving people feeling significant, competent, and liked, valued is sort of one of the hallmarks of what you want to do every time you're interacting with another person in the organization, whether it's a peer, a boss, or a subordinate. Significant, competent, and liked. And I take that straight from a number of people before me Um I'll leave off the names, but those of you listening to my show will have recognized that language has come up before and that that is what it is that leads people feeling valued. But you added two in that one that is really important. It's the sense that I have a seat at the table where the decisions are made. My voice can be heard there. And I feel that I'm trusted and therefore empowered. I think the bigger word is trusted at the front end of that one. Mm -hmm. All right, Can you give us an argument for why doing that actually leads to better business? And I'm talking hardline financial metrics, better business.
2: Yeah, I mean, in the end, if you have a team who, let's say, for example, that um, you have a key metric everybody has to achieve, that you're not going to lose any customers. Right? You're, you're going to make sure that there's no churn or really minimize year over year. Mm-hmm. It takes a team coming together, different parts of the organization to work cohesively and have a consistent approach and campaigns and programs and technology that enable customers to be satisfied and to... And to Um, You know, drive that loyalty. And if everybody who are the people inside that company who are making that happen, so they're on top of the customer, are you okay? Can I help you today? Being responsive when there's a problem, right? If everybody's doing that cohesively, then you're not going to lose customers at the rate that would happen if nobody's doing that, that job is not following up, is not delivering on the promise. So there, the correlation is what, it, it's both winning customers, obviously, but it's also keeping them. And, and that's, again, if the employees feel motivated, they're going, to, they're going to do it. If they don't feel valued or trusted, they check out. And that transfers to the metrics. It's hard to explain in it quickly, but that's the philosophy. (laughs)
1: Well, what you're saying is, if we don't get it right, we're going to lose customers. We'll spend a ton of money in acquiring them, but not a lot of time, a lot of um, retention of them, and thus ultimately yeah. profitability at, and reputation, word of mouth. I also think it's interesting. Every leader I'm talking to at the moment says, "How do I keep my team motivated?" And you just used the language. You said keeping your employees motivated, which means that they feel that they're valued and trusted. And I think you just gave the secret to that one yeah. right there, in one sentence.
2: Yes. And and so one of the things, you know, I encourage people, especially as with COVID, and we all haven't been in the office, right? Connection is harder. So I encourage leaders to spend time with their team, not just in traditional ways to go over, you know, the work projects and KPIs, but pick up the phone and ask people, your employees, How are they today? What are they dealing with? How can you help them? And just like we do with customers, right, but do it with your people. It goes a
1: long way. They will remember even when COVID's passed. Perfect, Stacy. That's a perfect place to end. And we've often talked about it in the show: the importance of humanizing the workplace, showing people mm-hmm. that you care, both in terms of getting the feedback, keeping the motivation, hearing the problems, um, and getting people to speak up and tell you what's really going on. So, all really important. My guest today is Stacy Sherman. As you can tell, Stacy's passionate about the customer experience (CX). You can follow her at Twitter: Stacy at Stacy Sherman. Instagram at doing CX right or read her blog at doing Stacy, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Join us next week for another episode in getting out of your comfort zone.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the voice America business channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.